I tend to maybe be a little lazy in terms of how I think about the total universe. And I look for cheat codes, basically, in terms of how you can find companies that are far enough along without doing too much legwork. Welcome to Inorganic, where we talk about all things inorganic and indirect growth for hyperscale SaaS companies. I'm your host, Christian Hasselt. And on this show, I open source everything I've learned over my 24-year career of building companies. Our guests are exclusively those who have been through the same journey and know how to cheat gravity and accelerate growth. Welcome back to Inorganic Pod. My name is Christian. I'm your host. And today we're going to be talking about the M&A funnel, very specifically the top of the funnel. We're going to talk about top of funnel because when you think about the whole funnel management, the entire end-to-end funnel, everything at the top is about the quality that goes in, that really the amount of time that you're spending in what goes into middle funnel and ultimately the things that successfully pass into bottom funnel, how you manage that time and in your own time and the resources of your company and your team who need to come along with you, a lot of that really starts with top of funnel. So so that's why I thought it'd be really great to just double click on top of funnel today. I'm excited to have with me someone I personally admire a great deal, who's a highly respected M&A practitioner in the e-commerce space. Today, I'm very pleased to have with me Eric Morton. He is the SVP of strategy at Commerce Hub. He has been there collectively for 17 years which is, I think, unusual for many practitioners. Uh, Usually in corp dev, you sort of move in and out every five or six years from one company to the next. So he's had a really long career there, and he has done quite a number of transactions. So Eric, welcome to Inorganic. It's great to have you with us. It's great to be here, Christian. Thank you for having me. I'd love to get your background. I didn't realize you started as a software engineer at Commerce Hub. You spent a little time and then took a break and then came back into your new role. Could you sort of describe your career journey and your focus today? So I started in college. I was actually a finance major and it was the late 90s. I was spending time learning all about municipal bonds and uh, finance because I wanted to get into investment banking, but it was the late 90s. It was the internet boom and it was a siren song. It was just far, far more interesting than reading bond indentures. So I wrote a couple of business plans. They didn't really go anywhere, but I was learning a lot about fundraising, about the opportunity in digital transformations and the internet. And I got attached very early on to a little startup in Albany, New York called Commerce Hub. And I started by helping the founder build financial models to raise venture capital and very, very quickly learned that the most interesting place in a software business is in engineering and product. It is not in finance, with all due respect to my friends in finance. So I taught myself to program, and the company was so desperate to hire software engineers that they took a chance on me early on. And I spent the first three or four years of my career doing web-based software development. We didn't call it SaaS back then. We called it uh, ASP, uh, Application Service Provider. So that dates me pretty significantly. And spent some time in product. Left the business in 2006 to start my own company. 
because I quickly identified that the the surest way to identify an opportunity is to see an opportunity in market and see that your current employer is not taking advantage of it. So I left to start my own business to build a web-based platform to help merchandisers more effectively find new products to sell. Ended up selling that business, doing a couple of other startups, and found my way back to Commerce Hub in 2012 when the founder of that business was also recruited back to take it to the next level. And that's really when I started focusing more on strategy and corporate development in a role that was really intended to support the CEO and our board at the time in how we could transform the business to take it to the next level, which in that case was a public offering. And that was a real trial by fire. We did an acquisition. We spun the company out to be publicly traded. I got uh, convinced to do investor relations as a publicly traded company, which was quite an experience. And since then, have really just been focused on partnering with the CEO, the executive team, and financial sponsors on how to use M&A and strategic partnerships as a uh, growth lever. What I like most about your background, especially sort of the earlier years, is the superpowers of someone in a corporate development function is to understand a little bit about software. So you kind of know how the thing works to understand how to work with product, because product is a very close partner of ours. And then third, to know what it's like to run a business and have to build and scale it and then sort of make a decision about when's the right time to exit. So having some credibility and talking to other founders is having been in their shoes. So you've got kind of all the right pieces there. And more recently, I think the thing that will be interesting to talk about as we go through this particular discussion is Working alongside a financial sponsor, we share a PE sponsor in Insight, which is a really great investing platform. And particularly the role that a corporate development function plays in working alongside a financial sponsor, kind of how do you sort of balance the roles and and utilize them as a tool for helping you not only develop the funnel, but execute end-to-end M&A. So that's really great context for this discussion. So I think where I wanted to start here was just to orient those who may be less familiar with the M&A funnel. Part of the intent of the podcast is to help those who may be newer to the function understand it. I liken the M&A funnel to be very similar to a sales funnel. You see it the same way, Eric? I do. I think in general, the corporate development role in a software business, a SaaS business specifically, is a really interesting combination of product, finance, and sales as well. I also think that there's a real focus on understanding sales, prospecting, and management of the funnel and relationships that is actually how a corp dev professional within a software business really and truly adds value to the enterprise overall. Because if you kind of think about the other parties involved, the company probably already has a CTO, it has a chief product officer. And if it's private equity backed or has other financial sponsors, there are people that know always more about finance than you do. So the real value comes from having the ability to speak 
both those languages. You need to be able to converse with your financial sponsors, how they want to talk about value creation. Same thing with product. So from my perspective, I've always thought that the value really comes from your ability to be out in market, developing relationships and identifying opportunities that can then turn into either partnerships or M&I opportunities. And I think one of the things you you bring up subtly in that answer is similarly to sales cycles, uh, cross-functional partnership within the organization as well as externally is required in order to be successful in the work. So in the same way that an enterprise rep needs to be surrounded by sales engineering, by their leadership team, and by those in the company who may need to help contribute to get the opportunity through the sales cycle. Partners may be involved. It's very, very similar sort of relationships are taking place in M&A as opportunities move through the pipeline. With respect to just pipeline, I thought maybe at the top, what we could do is orient around the top, middle and bottom funnel for the explicit purpose of just being clear about what top of funnel means in an M&A context. And so maybe we can just start with top of funnel. How would you describe what belongs in top of funnel, what does not? For me, everything always starts with, as you mentioned, strong alignment with all of the stakeholders. And when you're thinking about financial sponsors, it's usually pretty easy to get alignment with them. They're in the business of deploying capital. They want to do acquisitions It is sometimes a little bit more challenging and time consuming to get strong alignment with your executive team simply because they have day jobs. And I find that it is very effective to orient yourself around the broader corporate strategy and try to show your chief product officer, your CTO, your head of sales that your role in acquisition specifically can help them achieve their objectives that the entire team will be measured on through the corporate strategy. And starting there for alignment usually helps. And then when I think of top of funnel, I tend to think about it as having a strong process in place to manage inbound opportunities that will come through the normal deal flow from bankers and advisors in your network, building a muscle around that and being able to very, very quickly evaluate deals that I kind of almost think of as a separate topic in and of itself. And then the other area is really on those proprietary deals. How are you as a corp dev professional adding value to the organization by creating opportunities that don't otherwise exist? And again, for me, it always starts with what is the corporate strategy? What are the other resources, the market landscapes, the market analysis that you can create as a derivative product of that corporate strategy? And then how are you identifying other important players in the market, getting feedback from your head of sales and other people in the organization on who they think is relevant? And then how are you creating value by going out and actually creating relationships that don't exist yet, reaching out to people, whether it's at a conference or via a cold email or even on LinkedIn in some cases. And that to me is really always that top of the funnel where I've had 
success, certainly with financial sponsors, where you basically bring them an entire list of all the companies that are relevant in a certain part of the market that is relevant, again, to the corporate strategy. And you've got just a real simple way to say, do you have a relationship with that company in some way? Who is the relationship with? And that really does effectively communicate how you can build relationships and kind of get coverage, if you will. It's almost like a pre-funnel where they're not quite in the funnel yet because you don't know that there's an opportunity. You don't know that there is a deal to be done, as it were, but you've at least created some kind of relationship with ideally the founder of the potential target or someone else in the executive suite. I like the alignment with corporate strategy, a little bit of flexibility around that and the other things you described. But one thing is just clarity on how wide of a net do you cast at the top? So like, should the database be all of the possible objects in the industry relatable to you? Is that what would sit in your top of funnel? What are the qualities of the things that actually go into your top of funnel? You know, the founder, You've researched the company, like what are those sort of the three or four critical things that belong on top of funnel? Obviously, you'll have some objective criteria in terms of we're looking for a provider of some kind of software that is based in EMEA. And those kinds of criteria are always important. But I tend to maybe be a little lazy in terms of how I think about the total universe. And I look for cheat codes, basically, in terms of how you can find companies that are far enough along without doing too much legwork. So the easiest thing to do is you look at companies that are attending conferences and you look at companies that are exhibiting at conferences. And to go back to your comment before about how it helps to have a operating background when you're in a corp dev role, I made a lot of progress in my career by having the ability to, I was literally writing Ruby scripts to scrape the IRCE exhibitor and attendee list in uh, 2010 or so. And you pull down all of the names of the companies that are attending, you pull down their descriptions, you parse for keywords and do all that kind of work as a way to filter and say, there might be a thousand companies in this space, but I'm going to focus on these hundred because they're at least advanced enough that they're able to either attend or exhibit a conference. And if you think about that as one approach, the opposite of that that is also important is being in a position where you're always talking to other individuals in your organization. So who are the sales reps encountering in deals and also in some cases, talking with people in customer service, where you might identify a company that is an adjacent company that is actually contacting your customer service rep, because that company has a customer that wants to integrate to your platform, and they're contacting customer service because they don't know what else to do. So it's almost like a barbell approach in terms of having different ways to build what that universe is. One being look for companies that are advanced enough to already be attending conferences. And the other is just find signals in places that could have interactions with companies in the space, namely sales, customer support, things like that. 
you've uh, very naturally graduated as to the other area that I wanted to uncover, which was the sources for your top of funnel. And definitely internal referrals are a huge part of that. Industry lists and trade show sources are great ways to identify candidates. And without a doubt, there's a lot of signal and noise. So you have to come up with some sort of a methodology to parse out what's relevant to you. In my view, internal and your own sourcing and your network are kind of the organic bucket of your funnel. I think one of the things that we have to do is sort of separate how we treat organic versus inbound from investor or or banker led. So maybe to just stay on organic because that's where we were. What is the sort of the process flow for treating organic? How do you treat organic? In cases where your chief product officer raises their hand and says, I really need this one specific feature that I think can be fairly straightforward because what you're doing effectively is just going out and understanding who provides that feature and some other different ways you might qualify it. Are you looking for activity in a specific region or a company of a certain size? And you might handle it that way. The other area that I think is pretty interesting is you tend to find that there is value in providing your executive team with market insights that aren't necessarily top of mind from a product roadmap perspective, but really could be helpful to look around corners is like the classic cliche that we always use. And that I think is an important part of the corp dev professional's job is to be able to come and say, hey, we're seeing a lot of fundraising activity in this specific space. AI would be an obvious example or maybe something like new kinds of technology-powered services organizations. And you're effectively just giving updates and market intelligence. You never know when you're going to really hit on something in someone's mind where they say, hey, I've never brought this up at the weekly executive team meeting, but our customers are asking for services and we don't really have an answer for them. And that can obviously lead to another conversation as well. So again, It goes back to this idea of wanting to be responsive to specific needs of the executive team and the organization in general, but also recognizing that you, in many cases, are the better connection to the outside market. And part of your responsibility is that creative aspect of it to say, this is how the market is evolving. And how does that then potentially influence our strategy or how we might implement the strategy. Yeah, organic provides a lot of signal about what's happening. And it also provides signal for what's not happening. A lot of times you sort of get a false flag from your customer base about, I really need this. I really need that. I can think of a specific scenario I've had recently where a customer raised an RFP for a pretty nascent piece of capability, went out and looked and found like two or three companies that were providing that capability, but also noticed that No one else really was. Those companies weren't really large. Like, was this something that we wanted to be investing in product to do? How important was it? So you are providing sort of that insight to battle test whether there is a real large opportunity to expand in a particular area or not. Organic is really helpful for that. I think the other thing is, is internal referrals and the whole organic set is really great for competitive intelligence. So I like to take that information and provide that to product marketing or whoever's sort of handling our battle cards and help get them whatever signal I can. 
in the right way to help us also think about how we position ourselves in the market and who our competitors are and are not. Absolutely. And maybe related to the idea of the inbound funnel development versus organic, there's a lot of value and signals that you'll get from bankers and advisors in the space as well that I think very much support that organic side of the funnel development. So a couple of examples are when you are evaluating inbound deals and you are participating to some extent, you get a sense of what's working in the market and what isn't. And you'll potentially see a company that maybe is in a space that your management team and even you still think is interesting and potentially growing significantly. And you'll see a process from a sell side perspective that actually looks like, if not a pure fire sale, then a sale of a business that is not necessarily growing as fast as people might perceive. So there's a lot of signals that you'll get from that inbound side, the deal flow that can help support the organic side as well. And I think to just clarify for the the listeners, the inbounds are several different sources. I mean, one is our kind of our own personal networks of friends in venture or PE. Some are actual financial sponsors who will raise inbounds. And then another source of inbounds are banker-led inbounds, which are actual processes, auction processes. And the latter, you have to treat a little a little differently. Maybe we should actually double click on that a little bit. So the, the inbounds that we get, I think, from outside of an auction process, there's a process to run for them. But an auction process creates sort of this artificial level of urgency. You have to start making decisions and getting your team organized around them a lot faster. So how do you manage inbounds from auction process? How do you qualify, disqualify, and decide whether you want to play? Corporate strategy and then alignment with the rest of your executive team. It really starts with that, where when you get an inbound, the first thing that I would do is really run it through the filter of how well aligned is this opportunity to our corporate strategy. And if it isn't, then more than likely it's going to be an immediate pass, probably with just an email response back to the banker. And in cases where it likely is or could be aligned with your strategy, then you really do need to have support from the rest of your executive team where they should already know that you might come to them and have an opportunity that you need them to think about a little bit. And that requires, in some cases, a couple hours. In some cases, it could be a much more significant time investment. Everybody's busy and no one's going to like that interruption unless they know what's coming and they know why they're going to take time out of their day in order to sit in a management meeting with a company that they potentially never heard of. So it's really those two things. It's having the ability to quickly run it through your corporate strategy to see if it's a close fit or not a fit at all. And then number two, strong, strong alignment with your chief product officer, head of sales, other important stakeholders, obviously CEO in the business so that they can think about these deals, provide feedback, and potentially participate in management meetings or entire processes. I find that some, most inbounds is really black and white disqualification against the strategy. But there's some percentage where you actually need to double click a little bit because it's 
something you haven't thought about before, but maybe has something to it, or it has a very specific attribute of the you know, example, maybe it's, maybe it's data, maybe it's the engineering team is highly skilled in AI, you have zero interest in the product or zero interest in the customer base, but it has some particular feature that is very attractive. And you have reason to believe you should take a double click at it. Do you have a similar experience? I do. And it also brings up a, another important way to build your own network, which is building relationships with sell-side advisors. Because the first way that you would do that double click is to have a live conversation with the banker or with the advisor where you're just trying to find out more about the opportunity even before you might go under NDA which to me has been very beneficial throughout my career because as you do develop those relationships with the sell side, you understand how you can make them look good in front of their clients because they're going to have more clients every year. And the, the closer you are to them, the more likely you are to get not only early looks at opportunities they learn more about your strategy. So they're just going to have a better way to frame opportunities for you sometimes. So you can do some of that initial double clicking more easily because the banker knows you. They know you're looking for opportunities in a specific space. They know you're looking for a certain enterprise value size. Those kinds of dynamics are helpful. Yeah, I like you brought that up. It's actually not obvious if you're new to the role that sell-side bankers are actually a really valuable lead source. Very important to build relationships with the ones that you feel like understand what you're looking for and develop a close relationship where you also are a source of information and ideas for them because frequently you're, you're helping them understand the market. For the sell-side bankers, where you maintain that closer relationship, what are the things that you do specifically to help them understand your mandate without giving them too much information? You know, you want to maintain some proprietary around the sort the objects you might be looking at, but what do you, what do you do to sort of set them up for success in your search? I really start by giving them the public version of the the corporate strategy. So if you think about that corporate strategy document most of it, call it 90% of the content is going to be confidential. It's going to be intended for an internal audience. But ideally, you as a corp dev person on the team are a part of that broader process with the CEO and other people in the organization to develop that corporate strategy. So an important part of that process is always the public facing view of what that strategy is, which is frequently developed and driven by your head of marketing who wants to be able to sound intelligent and make the company sound interesting to analysts and press. So that's really what I like to do. I like to kind of partner with the head of marketing or somebody involved in corporate comms where you understand what it like, how are you framing your strategy to the general public or specific stakeholders like analysts and press and kind of use that as my 
a way to communicate this the strategy to sell side. And a lot of this honestly is informed by the fact that I, I did investor relations as a public company for about two years. So you you learn the skill of how do you communicate strategy? How do you communicate product to financial stakeholders? And once you kind of get that, and it's easy to learn, then that's really what you try to focus on. There's that aspect of it. And a big part of that is helping them understand what it is and what it isn't. So for example, you know that that sell-side banker is going to be reading the same kind of general media properties. They're going to be reading the same newsletters. They're going to be fully versed on what the major trends are. And it's helpful to do things like, hey, we're in this specific space, but we're not like this other company. And those kinds of things where you're kind of connecting dots for them using already public information outside of your company's own strategy can be very, very helpful too. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that I've wanted to transition to springing off of that was you've got this opportunity, you've decided it's actionable. Let's just talk for a second about what graduates something from top of funnel into mid funnel. Like what are your sort of qualifiers of this is a mid funnel opportunity? And actually, if we align on that for a second, for bottom funnel, do you consider anything in bottom funnel that's something that's under IOI or LOI, or do you have different criteria for bottom funnel? So for me, I really do split it up between what is a, call it auction process, and then what is that organic development? So I would even be in a position where I could have something that is bottom of the funnel on the organic side, where we might not even have an NDA in place. Really? Because it's all about the relationship between the companies and you develop relationships with people. Like it's not necessarily the companies developing relationships and having deep partnerships yet, but you can have a strong relationship with the founder and other folks at the business to the point where if they were to have an auction process for some reason, you know that they would call you before they even initiated the process. So once you have that deep of a relationship, you know that they're checking boxes on the strategy side, but you just haven't actually done anything yet, I would consider that to be a bottom of the funnel opportunity. Now, this almost means like you've got two funnels that are kind of like stacked on each other maybe, because once you do got under IOI, it almost shifts to me to another kind of process where then you're effectively shifting into how do I close this transaction kind of mode? And this, whether you kind of handle it as two transactions or one, I tend to think about them very differently. I want to have relationships that have their own funnel from I'm just getting to know you to like, we're very close. We may or may not even be doing business yet from a partner perspective. I consider that relationship very, very advanced. You can call it bottom of the funnel if you want. But then as soon as you actually sign an IOI, you're almost shifting the relationship to be more transactional because now you know financial sponsors on both sides are looking at that relationship very differently. And I kind of start to wear a different hat almost where I sort of shift into the mode of I need to either close this transaction or determine that this transaction 
can't be closed or shouldn't be closed. You basically described two funnels, what you would call a relationship funnel and what you would call a transactional funnel, if you will. Yes. And they can sort of like one can shift from the other. Exactly right. One can go from relationship bottom funnel to the CEO with which I've developed a great relationship is giving me the heads up. He's probably going to sell or he got an inbound from a strategic and they want to have they want to have more than one at the table. They thought that you would be a great fit. And so that's moved from relationship funnel to transactional funnel. That's the right way of sort of thinking about it based on your your context. That's super interesting because I actually always thought of it as a very singular funnel, if you will. So there's a learning here is my top of funnel would be all the things that are fitting with the strategy, wherever they may sit. I'll have relationships with some, but not all. I'll prioritize what actually should be there. Then mid funnel is actually we're engaged. We're either considering a potential M&A opportunity or a partner opportunity. And then once it's become more actionable, then it's in the bottom funnel. It's going to get, and the lower in the funnel it goes, the more attention that it gets. But you're actually describing this two-part where you're using one part of the funnel to decide how much time you invest in the relationship because you never know when actionability will occur, which is one of the problems in our business is you might really like a company. It might be a perfect fit for you, but for one reason or another, it's not actionable. When it flips to actionable, you move it over. Is that the right way to describe, read back to you what I heard? It is. And I think some of it is probably a function of we've gotten to the size uh, as a business and we have enough financial sponsors that we have enough deal flow internal that it makes sense to manage them separately because there's just enough quantity of inbound deal flow that you want to be able to say, hey, we're being responsive to opportunities that are coming inbound through auction processes. And then at the same time, we're also large enough that it makes sense to really spend enough time and to be deliberate about relationship development in general. It also, to be honest, is influenced by having a little bit of a dual mandate as a corp dev person of not just pure M&A, but also partnerships as well. That's something that I think is super, super critical because it allows you to play the most obvious card in the world when you're contacting companies is like, hey, I just want to talk about a partnership. I'm different than all of those PE associates that email you as a CEO every week to say, hey, do you need capital? Like nobody wants to take that call. But when a larger player in the space that looks like an adjacency says, hey, we think there could be a partnership opportunity because we have overlapping customers, a financial sponsor cannot have that conversation. You can because you work for a software company and it's the easiest and I find most effective way to start the conversations and start the relationships. Yeah. Content for a completely different episode is running the partner track in the corporate development function is in of itself a whole different uh, line. So we'll, we'll certainly cover that in, a, in another episode. We're running close to time. So I thought maybe what we'd wrap on is a couple of lessons learned. And I'll see the first one, which is, you know, you can have the strategy, you can have alignment with the team on the things that you're looking for. But the things that tend to distract the corporate development function and sort of disrupt the funnel or defy the funnel, if you will, are hey, this competitor just took a deal from us. Who are they? You need to take a close look at them right now. Or an investor gets really excited about a particular company and they put that in front of you. 
And it's either was in your funnel or wasn't in your funnel, but that can tend to be distracting because it doesn't, these are objects that in my mind don't completely fit with the strategy, but the CEO wants their attention. So how do you sort of view your role and the treatment of those opportunities as they come up? So that's a classic example of, I used to call it, it's like the shiny object syndrome that some CEOs have where they just see something and for whatever reason, it triggers them and they just want to know why weren't we involved or why weren't we thinking about that? And I think that's a problem that everybody on the executive team has to some extent. So my focus tends to be, how could I help the CEO understand a dynamic with access to information that they don't normally get through their day-to-day activities. So a lot of that will then come from your relationship network. Uh, Who do you know that maybe the CEO doesn't know yet? And then what other kinds of, of context and analysis might you have? So for example, could insights from your banker relationships actually help the CEO understand whether this shiny object they're seeing is something that's truly compelling or not. So it's not as if you have an obvious answer for them because most of the time no one will, but you're able to help them work through a problem or understand a new way to analyze a specific information because your network and access to information you have should be different than what they have as your way of adding value. Yeah, that's exactly the way I see it. What's another lesson learned that you think we should wrap up with here? So for me, it it goes back to one of the topics we touched on, which is understanding the role of sell-side advisors and bankers, because a lot of people who come from our backgrounds as people in the software industry who don't come from the banking industry, you don't necessarily know the difference between a lower mid-market advisory firm, a mid-market advisory firm, a small investment bank, or the big bulge brackets. And those relationships are important in understanding that how to manage them are super compelling. And like one example I'll give that supports the idea of that organic deal flow is that one of the things that bankers will do when they try to win a mandate to sell a company is they'll go to the founder and they'll say, hey, why don't I just set you up with some initial calls with some people in the industry? And they'll set up calls with maybe three companies at the most to show that CEO and founder that the banker really knows the industry and is going to build a good process. You want to be one of those three people that they call. And the only way that you get onto that list is by developing that relationship, being responsive to them, giving feedback, and then you'll, you'll get the call. 100%. That is probably another episode in of itself is is. relationship management and who should be in the Rolodex? Who do you call? How do you kind of build that network? That is not something you can Google. Exactly. That is a different episode. Well, Eric, we could probably go on for another hour just on top of funnel, but I'm really glad I broke it down to this one piece. I really appreciate your experience and insights. It's been very enlightening and helpful. And I hope you, our listener, have enjoyed uh, the conversation. We'll leave it right here for this episode of Inorganic, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. If you enjoyed this conversation, please do like and subscribe on whatever channel you're listening to. Thank you for listening to the Inorganic Podcast. Make sure to check out the show notes and description for a rundown of today's show and all the important links. 
If you enjoyed this episode, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and let's continue the conversation on my LinkedIn. I'm Christian Hasseld. Happy scaling. Happy scaling.